Welcome to week three of the Beyond Limits class. As I kind of talked about before, each week is going to kind of play off of the previous week. And so we'll do just a little bit of a recap. Week one, we talked about the Lord uh, essentially revealing himself to mankind and that he can do that uh, upon his own volition uh, as he wills and as he desires the lord will reveal himself to people and then as he does that he invites people into uh, relationship and then partnership in bringing forth his will on earth as it is in heaven and so we talked a little bit about destiny the lord wanting to do something in us uh, conforming us to the image of christ and then wanting to do something through us and that is bringing his will to earth as it is in heaven so he invites us to do that but he doesn't um he doesn't do it in such a way that we are to try and accomplish it on our own. The Lord makes available to us all of the resources of heaven, all of the resources of his kingdom to bring about his will on earth. So not only does he give us the message, not only does he give us the purpose and reveal to us the destiny and the details in the destiny, but then he empowers us to be able to live that out. And so, uh, I believe that he does that primarily, number one, by giving us his spirit. And so that's <clears throat> kind of what we're going to talk about today. Now, I just kind of have to preface that I know that within a you know 30 to 40 minute period of this teaching, it is, it is impossible to cover everything concerning the spirit of God. I mean, there's so much about the Holy Spirit in the scriptures it just goes on and on, and there's so much study and so much revelation, um, so much shown to us through the scriptures about the Spirit and the role of the Spirit in our life. And so uh, this is definitely not exhaustive, and um, again, so much study to be done, so much to learn. But I want to focus on just a few things uh, concerning the Spirit of God. And so, again, my statement <clears throat> is that the Spirit of God is the number one resource from heaven to help us fulfill our destiny um, to fulfill it in us and to fulfill it through us, the power at work within us. Uh, week one, we talked about Ephesians 3.20, and I just want to reference that one more time. Now to him who's able to do far beyond all that we ask or imagine by means of his power that works in us. And so that power that works in us is the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit that the Lord promised and that he sent to us. So Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 8, uh, I know that that's where Jesus kind of says, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses uh, even to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus said, wait, Messiah, Yeshua said, wait for the, the Spirit of God, the Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach HaKodesh is the Hebrew term for that. And it means a set apart spirit or the Holy Spirit. And so the Lord, when he calls us into relationship and he gives us will and he gives us purpose and destiny, he sets us apart and makes us holy by placing his spirit in us. Scripture tells us elsewhere that we are marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit, that he, he essentially brands us as his and brands us as set apart. And he says, I've given you a purpose. I've given you destiny and you're mine and you will go and you will uh, bring forth my will on earth as it is in heaven. And that's such a beautiful invitation that we get from the Lord. Um, you know, not everybody can say that they have purpose. And when we're in the Lord, we absolutely have purpose. 
So I want to talk a little bit about some things about the spirit and how uh, the spirit will uh, work through us and in us and kind of what that looks like. And so let me just give a quick uh, rundown. So we'll talk about being born of the spirit. We'll be, we'll talk about getting truth from the spirit, power from the spirit, leading by the spirit, and then uh, gifts of the spirit. And after we talk about the resource of the spirit, we're going to talk about how the Lord over time throughout the entirety of the narrative of scripture, we see his spirit into the earth moving in and through people. But then we also see that the Lord has an angelic host and that angels are very much active in the plan and purpose of the Lord and that they interact with humankind uh, to bring about God's will. And so the Lord sends angels to help work that out on earth. Uh, as it is in heaven. And then uh, I want to talk about after that, just the idea of heavenly visions, how the Lord will allow man to see into what's happening in the heavenly realm and the spirit realm in order to bring about encouragement, to give revelation and understanding, and to essentially reveal his glory and more of his plan to people. So we've got the spirit of God working in us and through us. We have the angels, the angelic host working in the earth with us and around us. And then we have the Lord who is giving us, um, who's giving us Uh, opportunity to see into the heavenly realm as he uh, works out his plan. And so let me fix this speaker view here. I don't know why that's doing that. Give me one second. Sorry, you all. Any uh, questions at the moment about any of this? Okay. So for some reason, when I'm talking, this isn't coming up. I'll just have to keep it like this. No big deal. All right. So being born of the spirit, let's look at John chapter three, verse five. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of uh, water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which of which is born of flesh is flesh. And that do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So two really beautiful nuggets in this scripture. We're born of the spirit. And so uh, just before we officially started the class, we were talking about, um, on day three, the Lord creating the trees and that these these trees gave forth fruit after their own kind. And that fruit had the seed to be able to bring forth life after its own kind. And so we know that um, spirit begets spirit or spirit gives birth to spirit. And so uh, the Lord <clears throat> here in John is saying we have to be born of water and born of spirit. And, uh, and so then he, we know that, uh, when we're born again, we're born of spirit. We die. Um, we are mystically and miraculously crucified with Christ. Like Paul said, I, I, I've been crucified by in Christ. I no longer live, but the life I live, I live in faith of the son of God who loved me and died for me. And so being crucified with Christ, but then being raised and alive in the spirit. So we are born of the spirit. And uh, I'll just go down just a little bit. Romans eight fourteen says for those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. And so 
The Spirit comes and does a work in our life. Um, scripture in John chapter 1, it says, To those who believed, he gave the right to become children of God, not born of man's decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. And so when we are, when we believe in Christ, as Messiah and Savior, and just all of the wonderful that he is, uh, we are born again in the Spirit, and so we live by the Spirit. So amazing uh, piece here that I kind of want to pick apart a little bit, that last part of John 3, 5, where it says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. <clears throat> so what I want to say about that is that Jesus is basically saying, look, the wind blows and we don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where it's going, but we see the effects of the wind blowing. And it's interesting that he uses that phrase because the Ruach actually means breath or spirit or wind. So he's basically saying when the breath of God comes, when the spirit comes, we don't know where it came from or where it's going or what it's doing, but we see its effects. And he says, so it is with those who are born of the spirit. And for me, that tells me that there is a world of possibility of supernatural possibility for those who are led by the spirit. You know, he's saying, look, just consider the spirit of God in somebody's life. You don't know what's going to happen, right? You cannot put limits on what God is going to do through somebody who has the spirit of God in their life. There's just, you cannot put a limit on that. You cannot, um, speculate, right? You can't put a box. You can't put the wind in a box, right? I mean, Technically speaking, I know scientists have tried to do all kinds of crazy things, but you can't do it. I mean, just imagine if there was this storm that came blowing through and it's toppling trees and it's knocking over fences. I mean, there's no way to contain that. You know, you're you're merely human. And so the Lord, this is what he does in people's lives. He fills them with the spirit and you just don't even know what's going to happen. To me, that's a world of possibility by the spirit. It's the wind, the breath, the spirit of God working in and through an individual to bring about his purposes on the earth. And we just, we can't contain it. We, we can't be so religious or so rigid that we say what is or isn't right. Jesus even said, man, one of the, the unforgivable sin is blaspheming against the work of the Holy Spirit. When, when they said, you know, the Pharisees said, you know, that's not the spirit of God. And he's like, whoa, you guys, you need to calm down because that's going to get you in a lot of trouble. And so obviously we can discern spirits and we can do those kinds of things. But I think it's really wise to allow the Lord to just do what he's going to do through people and say, your will uh, nevertheless, your will be done, Lord. And so really amazing scripture there in, in, uh, in my mind. <clears throat> so the spirit of God comes, we're born again, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're regenerated as children of God, we're seen as children of God, we're loved, not only are we loved and appreciated and valued, he sings praises over us, but again, he continues to invite us into um, that uh, relationship with him and being a part of his will on earth. So he puts the spirit in us. We're born again. And then um, we receive truth from the spirit. And this is one of my favorite scriptures in all of, uh, of, of the Bible, 
essentially. John 16, 17, it says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. So Jesus is telling the disciples, look, you've seen me do all these ministry or these, all this ministry. You've seen me do these miracles. I've raised Lazarus from the dead. I've, you know, I've let the blind see, I've made the lame walk. Um, I've turned water into wine. I've walked on water. I have uh, calmed the chaos of the storm by my word. And you think that's awesome. It's better that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is actually saying the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit of the living God present in you and among you on earth is better than my physical bodily presence as Jesus on the earth. Like this is what he's saying. And everybody, you know, I would love to see Jesus in the flesh, right? Like right here in front of me in my house. And he says, look, it's better that I send the helper. It's just better. And so, man, I, I think I could do a little bit of heart check to kind of reorder the value of <clears throat> the spirit in my life and the role that uh, he, Holy Spirit, plays in my life. So Jesus says, it's better that I go away. If I didn't go, I wouldn't send the helper. But since I'm going, I'm sending him. And when he comes, he, the spirit, will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So just real quick, I just want to harp on this for a second. It is not our job to convict or convince the world of their sin or right, or what righteousness is or what is judgment. It is the spirit, right? When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So I just want to lay that down as not anything that I'm supposed to carry. It is not my mandate. It is not my responsibility. It's not my job. It's the Spirit of God who does that. Uh, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the rule of the world has been judged. And then here's Jesus gives a little bit more insight. I still have much more to tell you, but you cannot handle it just now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will tell you. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything that the father has is mine. And for this reason, I said the Ruach or the breath, the wind, the spirit will take from what is mine and declare it to you. And so just so much in this in this scripture here. Again, we're talking about the Holy Spirit being the primary, I call it a resource, him a resource, but the presence of the living God, his breath in us, transforming us, doing something in us and doing something through us. The Spirit has a very specific role. And again, this isn't exhaustive, but the Spirit will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Spirit will the of truth will come and the spirit will guide us into truth. He's not going to speak on his own. He's going to take what he hears from the father. He's going to give it to us. And then he says, and he will declare to you things that are to come. Now I don't always talk about prophecy or expressing the heart and the mind of the father in these terms, but this is one scripture where the spirit of God will show us things to come. And so I grew up in a, in a place that thought that prophetic was fortune telling or seeing into the future. That's a little tiny piece of it. But here's a scripture where 
the spirit. So, you know, people will say, oh, anytime, you know, someone says, well, the Lord told me they're like, I'm, you know, I, I just don't even, I don't mess with that. Or when somebody gives a prophecy and says, you know, the Lord showed me that on this day, this thing's going to happen or, you know, generic prophecy, whatever it is, people are like, whoa, hold on a second. You know, where's that biblical? And, you know, Jesus told his disciples, like the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to show you things to come. Let me give you an example. So Paul was going to go back to Jerusalem to preach the gospel. And one of the disciples prophesied by taking off his belt and binding his wrist and saying, if you go back to Jerusalem, this is going to happen to you. You will be taken over into the hands of the religious authorities. And Paul said, I don't care. I'm going. And lo and behold, Paul goes back to Jerusalem. He preaches. He gets beaten. After he gets beaten and he's being taken off, he has to speak again and he preaches the gospel a second time. But anyways, they bind him. They, they bind him up and they take him to jail. And so proof that the Spirit of God showed one of the disciples of something that would, would uh, come in the future. And so I believe that the Lord's still revealing so, stuff to people. I think it's really important to be um, careful, I suppose, or just be discerning and wise about the words that you receive and, and what you're saying to people. We just want to make sure that we're in, in line with the heart of the Father. Should I say this? Should I not say this? Is this something I reveal to the masses or to a few? We just have to, you know, be discerning. So anyway, spirit of truth comes and we, we are led into all truth and the spirit is our teacher and the spirit is our leader and our guide and our helper and our comforter and plays so many roles in our life. Again, the primary resource of heaven is God's presence with us. Moses said, I'm not going to go unless you go with me. And so Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send the spirit. And so uh, we get, uh, we're born of the spirit. We receive truth from the spirit. And then we have power from the spirit. So Acts 1, 8 through 11, uh, I quoted this earlier, but it says, you will receive power when the Ruach HaKodesh has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and through all Judea, uh, Judah and Samaria and the end of the earth. And after saying all this, while they were watching, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they were staring into heaven, as he went up, suddenly two men uh, stood in white clothing. They said, men of Galilee, why do you keep standing here staring into heaven? This Yeshua, uh, who was taken up from heaven, will come to you in the same way that you saw him go. But Jesus again says, you will receive power when the spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses even to all of the earth. And so let me show you just a little bit how kind of how that played out. Um, Acts chapter two, is that where we get Pentecost? And so Jesus just told his disciples who probably only speak, um, maybe they speak Greek, they speak Hebrew or Aramaic. Um, and so he's saying, you're going to take the gospel to the entire, to everybody, to the other ends of the earth. And they're probably thinking, well, how are we going to preach the gospel to people in Asia, if we don't speak the same language. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes like tongues of fire rest on them. And they begin to proclaim the mysteries of God um, in all of the languages of the people who were present, who had traveled to Pentecost. And so Jesus says, I'm giving you power to be a witness. And the way that he did that in that instance, with all those people who spoke all these different languages from all over the earth, he empowered them by a spirit to be able to speak a language, to be a witness to himself, to all of those people present. And so uh, just really cool. Again, more of that power. If you want to read more about the power of God through us, uh, look at the book of Acts and just see all the things that the Holy Spirit did. And so, you know, I've heard it said that the book of Acts is called Acts of the Apostles, but I've also heard it called Acts of the Holy Spirit, because when the Spirit came, he really, really did some stuff. He really 
uh, blew in like a mighty wind and uh, really, really did some, I don't want to say damage, but did some good. <laughs> and so <clears throat> power from the spirit, we get led by the spirit, Acts chapter 16, verse six through 10. And when they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man in Macedonia standing there using, uh, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia to help us. So um, basically we see an instance where the Spirit of God is leading and guiding the apostles, the missionaries, as to where they will go and to where they won't go. So the Holy Spirit forbade them. It, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak in Asia. So for whatever reason, the Spirit of God said, nope, you are not going to go to Asia. And so again, very specific leading and guiding by the Spirit of God. And so, um, you know, if you ever tell somebody like, man, you know, the Lord told me that I have to move to Chicago. And they're like, no, the Lord doesn't do that. He doesn't tell people where to move and what to do. It's just like, look, the Spirit led the disciples not to go places, and then he led them to go places, right? So shut the door in Asia, and then open the door to go to Macedonia. So the Lord can lead and guide us uh, however he wants. He does it by his Spirit in us. And so really awesome stuff there. And then gifts of the Spirit. So 1 Corinthians 12, 4, they're different kinds of gifts, but they're all given to believers by the same Spirit. There are different ways to serve, but they all come from the same Lord. There are different ways the Spirit works, but the same God is working in all these ways in all the people. So let me just say this again. We don't know where the Spirit's coming from or where it's going. The Lord can do whatever He wants with whoever He wants, and He's going to gift people in different ways. He's So again, that's a resource from heaven, right? A gift of the Spirit. He's supernaturally empowering us to live out and be a certain way that we weren't before without his spirit so that we are equipped and empowered to live out his mission. So we're talking about heavenly resources. The spirit of God is a primary resource in us and he gives us gifts. And so uh, continuing on, the Holy Spirit is given to each of us in a special way that is for the good of all. To some people, the spirit gives a message of wisdom to others. The same spirit gives a message of knowledge to others, the same spirit gives, spirit gives faith. To others, that one spirit gives gifts of healing. To others, he gives the power to do miracles. To others, he gives the ability to prophesy. To others, he gives the ability to tell the spirits apart, so discerning of spirits, and so on and so forth. And so, really what we're talking about here is the Spirit of God gifting people uh, with power to be able to live out and to do what he's called us to do. And so we have the spirit of God literally with us and through us. And then we have gifts that are given that empower us to be a way that we weren't before, but we are now equipped and empowered to do that mission. So spirit of God, amazing resource. I, I think that uh, sometimes um, we, we um, devalue the work and the presence of God in us and with us. I don't think we do it on purpose. I think sometimes we maybe look to other people, we look to other things or resources, or we get, you know, super Bible heavy or whatever it is. And, you know, it's up to you to decide where you're at uh, concerning that. But truly the Spirit of God is uh, is powerful 
to equip us and empower us. So, uh, <clears throat> the spirit of God at work in the world in us and through us, but then also angels. And so some people have weird things about angels. Now, just because we talk about angels doesn't mean that we are worshiping angels just because we look at scripture and see that angels spoke to mankind and there was communication between angels doesn't mean that we are trying to encourage anybody to worship angels. If anything you see in the scriptures, anytime a man went to worship an angel, the angel said, no, 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 you don't do that. I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm here with you. And I was sent by God and there's a mission to be done. And here's what needs to be said. Here's what needs to be done. So angels are co laborers with us. And so I want to just skip down um, <clears throat> to Hebrews 1.14 to just make this statement that angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those, right, to all inheriting salvation. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. And so scripture straight up tells us, Angels are ministering spirits. They're here to serve. They're here to help. And they're to help and serve mankind. And so some people might be like, oh, that's blasphemy. You know, angels don't serve you. They serve God. Okay, well, look at the scripture. They're sent to service. Those who will inherit salvation. That's us. And so this isn't a pride thing. This isn't a look at me. I'm so awesome kind of thing. This is God's interaction. This is God's will and this is God's plan. And he has used angels all throughout the entirety of the narrative of scripture to make things happen. In um, in uh, Genesis chapter three, he puts an angel, a, cher- a cherub or puts cherubim um, at the gate of Eden with two flaming swords so that Adam and Eve can't go back in and eat from the tree of life. So we get God placing an angel there and just all throughout scripture, we're going to see all kinds of interaction of angels into uh, the lives of, uh, of people. So I'm just going to cl- uh, send you a link real quick. And this is just a little fact sheet that says a couple different things about who angels are. And uh, you can Google you know, angels in the scripture and kind of get a, an exhaustive list of all the things that they did. But I want to look at just a couple of these to show how the Lord was using angels to interact with man. So it, this is, you know, again, beyond limits, embracing supernatural possibility all throughout the scriptures. <clears throat> God's using angels. And I believe that when we shut the book, why do we think that things would be any different? I don't really think that they are. I think the Lord has set precedence for how he is working in and through us and what he's doing with his will, his will on earth as it is in heaven. So real quick, uh, Judges six nineteen through 23, an angel speaks to Gideon. And so uh, Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. Um, the meat... He put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. 
And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat, the unleavened cakes, and put them on this rock, and pour the broth over them. And he did so. And then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand, and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock, and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. So um, Gideon saw that that was an angel of the Lord, and so then he cries out to the Lord. <clears throat> and so, interesting situation here. Gideon, very much flesh and blood called by God to put together an army to go do God's will. So Gideon is visited by this angel, and the angel comes to him and he gives him very specific instruction on what to do with these unleavened cakes and this meat. And then this angelic being, which is a supernatural spirit being created by God to be a messenger and a servant to the Father, but to serve his will and his purpose through humans, reaches out with the tip of a staff. So this angelic being, the spirit being, then takes a hold of something that is in his hand that has the ability to then interact with the physical. And so we think spirit, we think I can go through walls and all that stuff's good and that's right. But this angel manifests in such a way that Gideon can see him and then that angel then proceeds to interact with the physical and have an effect on it. So he touches it and then fire bursts, you know, up and then consumes the meat. And so then Gideon's like, whoa, that was truly an angel of the Lord. And so when he realizes that, then God speaks to him and gives him the encouragement that he needs and says, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And so God, the father, Yahweh, interacting with mankind using a spirit being angel to manifest into the physical, to be able to touch and affect the physical, to then um, be a part of God's plan and accomplish what he wants him to accomplish. So we're just talking about breaking down walls and embracing possibilities. So, I mean, it, what can angels do? They can manifest. We can see them. They can touch things. It. I mean, it, to me, it's there. So, uh, moving on, Daniel eight fifteen through nineteen, an angel explains a vision to Daniel. So we have again a uh, an angel appearing and making known to Daniel understanding and wisdom and knowledge based on a supernatural vision that Daniel received. <clears throat> and so, just to read a little bit, it says when I Daniel had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, and, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he, Gabriel, came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened, and I fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face on the ground, but he touched me, so the angel appeared out of nowhere, as a spirit being, and interacted with the physical, touched him and made me stand up. And he said, Behold, I make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. So Daniel says, I want to understand this vision you just showed me, Lord. And then the Lord says, Hey, Gabriel, go tell Daniel what that vision meant. So Gabriel comes, Daniel falls down, and then the angel touches him, and he gets back up, and then he tells him, gives him that vision, or excuse me, that revelation, that understanding that he needed to understand that vision. So, 
you know, you tell me what's possible. <laughs> Revelation 1, 1 through 3. An angel was sent to John with Revelation. So it says the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel and servant to John. So again, there is something that the Lord wanted man to know. And so in this instance, he doesn't always do this. In this instance, he used an angel to give revelation to John. And so the angel came as a ministering servant spirit to bring a word as a malak, a, an angel, a messenger of God. He came with a message to reveal to John. And so uh, verse 2 there, Revelation 1, verse 2, who testified the word of God and to do the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah to everything he saw. How fortunate it is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and those who hear and keep what has been written for the time is near. So John in Revelation, that entire book or letter or whatever we want to call it, that entire narrative of scripture that we find in Revelation came to John by vision. And if you continue through Revelation, he was led through the heavenly realm in that vision by an angel to different places to see different things that were happening. And so John was seeing into what was actually happening in the throne room, but then he was also led to see what would be happening in the future and some things that had actually already happened in the past. And so he's seeing all along this timeline of existence, things that had happened, things that are going to happen, he showed him judgment. He showed him the new earth, the new Israel coming down. He showed him something like a sea of glass with elders casting their crowns down and Yahweh sitting on the throne, Jesus with the tattoo on his thigh, the word, you know, the word on his leg with a sword in his hand, with fire in his eyes coming on a white horse. I mean, this, he was led through all of this by an angel and he's seeing past, present and future all in one situation. Um, pretty amazing stuff. An angel speaks, moving on, an angel speaks to Joseph about the birth of Jesus. So even concerning the birth of Christ before Jesus was actually in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us on the face of the earth, God sent an angel to talk to Joseph. So Matthew 1, uh, 20 <clears throat> through 25. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save all the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he, uh, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. So interesting tidbit. <clears throat> Daniel had a vision and he wanted to know what the vision was. So he inquired and then he heard a voice and then an angel appeared. And so Daniel was very much awake. I believe in that situation, he's awake. Here comes an angel touched him. Joseph fell asleep. And let me just tell you that in his sleep, in a dream, an angel of the Lord came to him and interacted with him. And he took the message of the angel and he did what was commanded. And then lo and behold, we have Christ, the Messiah, Yeshua, born into the earth. 
right? So, I mean, whether you're awake or whether you're asleep, you know, oh, that's not biblical. You know, God doesn't do that. Well, yeah, okay. I think he does and he did. And, you know, who are we to limit him? You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I often have cried out to the Lord and said, man, just speak to me in my dreams. You know, God, like if you got something to show me, do it in my dreams where, you know, I'm not talking and I'm not watching TV or I'm not frantic or anxious. Like, you know, if you got to get me in my sleep, totally open to it. And I can tell you, I've had some pretty interesting dreams. I believe even some prophetic dreams to where, um, I have actually seen in my life places that God has showed me while I was asleep. And I go to that place and it's not deja vu. It's not like, oh, I've been here before. It's, no, I had a dream about this place and here I am. Thank you, Lord, for showing me that I'm right where I need to be. And it's been that kind of interaction. And it's wonderful. It's it's wonderful because this is the God who loves us and knows us. And he'll speak to us the way he needs to speak to us to get through to us. And he'll show us the things that we need to see when we need to see them. Again, the Spirit, Jesus said, and he'll show you things to come. Maybe he does it in a dream. Maybe he does it while you're awake. Maybe he does it while you're asleep. Maybe he sends an angel. Maybe it's revelation in your spirit. Who knows? But it is possible. And this is this is what God does continually, supernaturally intervening, using all the resources of heaven, his spirit, his angels, visions, whatever he needs to do to get through to us, to show us, and to continue to move us along in his will and his ways. Continue on, Luke 2, 13 through 16, an angel visits the shepherds announcing the birth of Jesus. So suddenly there was an angel and a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth and peace among those with whom he's pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. So you've got these shepherds in the field and all of a sudden they see an angel with a multitude of the heavenly host. So they're getting this angelic presence multitude and this multitude of angels is praising God. We've seen this before Isaiah six and uh, revelation. Um, we'll talk a little bit about it. They're praising God. And then it says when the angels went away from them into heaven. So it's not as if the angels appeared in heaven. It's not as though the vision took place in heaven. The vision took place or not the vision, excuse me, the event the event of this angelic host praising God in front of the shepherds took place on earth because the scripture says that they went back into heaven when the angels went away from them into heaven. Well, where were they into earth and they went from into earth into heaven. And so let's not be, you know, let's be clear about what's actually taking place here because you know, that the Lord, he's, he's going to do some amazing things. And I think we tend to read over this stuff sometimes because we're just like, oh yeah, angels appearing. It's just like, man, what do we really believe? You know, what do we really think is possible? And so there's two, um, two stories here. I won't read through both of them, but Acts 5, 17 through 21 and Acts 12, 6 through 11, we get angels leading people out of jail. The apostles find themselves in, in a sticky situation and then angels show up and supernaturally affect the physical chains and bars and gates all of the prison um all of the prison's hope to keep prisoners 
shackled and the angels have the power and the ability to just bypass all of that physical and uh, and help get these apostles out of jail. And so, um, you know, the angel here in Acts 12, 6 through 11, verse 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. So he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. So again, you've got this spirit being from heaven coming to earth, touching man and uh, telling him, get up, let's go. And he instructs him. The angel says, put on your clothes and your sandals, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. So the angel's given specific instructions. And then um, the angel leads him out. And uh, verse 11, Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. So we also know that the, uh, the disciples were in the house praying for Peter. And as they were praying, this event took place. The Lord sent an angel. And so really, really amazing. <clears throat> um, real quick, and then we'll dive into some, uh, some talk time. So heavenly visions. I wanted to just kind of show a couple of times where people had visions into the heavenlies. And I just shared that link. And there's a couple of different scriptures on that link where... <clears throat> we get a list of times that people are seeing into heaven, but I want to focus specifically <clears throat> on a, on a couple here. So second Kings six fifteen through 18, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. That is a very, very packed paragraph. But essentially what we see is that. Elisha is having a hard time, or excuse me, the servant's having a hard time believing that the Lord's going to come through in this sticky situation. His circumstances are not looking good. They don't know what's going to happen, but Elisha who has faith and not only has that he has faith, Elisha knows what's happening behind that physical veil into the spirit. And he says, give him eyes that he may see my interpretation, my I tend to think that Elisha was already seeing in the spirit exactly what was going on. And he's saying, God, show him what's happening. And so the Lord answers number one and lets the guy see that there are chariots and fire and horses there in the heavenly realm ready to attack and go to war on behalf of the father. But it's behind the veil. It's behind that spiritual veil. And he doesn't see it in the spirit. He doesn't see it, right? And so his eyes are opened and then he sees it. And then he believes. And so then Elisha goes ahead and prays. And then the Lord does um, exactly what the uh, Elisha asks. And so just really amazing how the Lord can peel back the veil of the physical realm and show us what's really taking place. You know, Jesus said, he who has eyes to see and ears to hear, right? <clears throat> Let him see and let him hear. <clears throat> and so these last three verses, Isaiah 6, 1 through 4, Revelation 4, 2 and 3, and 1 Kings 23, uh, 22, 19 to, through 20. Excuse me, I'm getting tongue-tied. These are all instances 
of where people are getting visions of the Lord sitting on his throne. Isaiah sees the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne with the train of his robe filling the temple. He sees angels with six wings and they're covering their faces and their feet and they're flying and they're praising God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Similar to what we saw in, in with the shepherds seeing an angelic host worshiping and praising the father in the heavenlies. Revelation 4 um, that's John. He says, at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting in it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby and a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. So heavenly vision of the throne of God, men in the Bible, you know, people, humans in the Bible are having this experience of seeing into the heavenly realm. And it's by the spirit of God doing it in them. First Kings, he says, uh, and he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right and his left side. And so God doing what he does, giving people vision, giving people wisdom and understanding, sending angels to supernaturally intervene and affect, affect the physical. And this is just what I see, y'all. I... I see God all throughout the narrative doing this. And so what would make me think that once I close the scripture, that if the Lord has given me a mandate or a blueprint or a call and he's given me purpose that, and, and then I read the scripture that says are not all angels ministering spirits. And then Paul saying, Hey, look, make sure you show hospitality to everybody because you might show hospitality to an angel without knowing it. Right? So, very much still at work in our lives. I mean, I, I go to the source Wichita and uh, we have an angel who stands over the building. I've never seen him by faith. I believe that he's there, but people around me say they see him all the time. And so who am I to question or say, God doesn't do that. He does it. And they're, they're among us and they're with us. And, you know, I love singing songs about worshiping God on the throne high and lifted up. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because I know when I'm singing those words, I am singing in unison with the angelic host that is in the heavens. And what a powerful thing when all of creation, physical and spiritual, are worshiping the Lord together. We are truly mirroring and imaging heaven when we're doing that, when we're singing with the angels all angels and heavenly hosts and the great cloud of witnesses coming together to worship Yahweh. You know, the angels are watching what's happening in earth and they're here and they're helping with what's happening in earth. <clears throat> they are interested in what's happening in earth. And uh, we on earth can have insight and knowledge and revelation as to what's going on in heaven, just as Many, many, many of the other biblical characters have had their eyes opened and the veil removed for them to be able to see into that place. And so, again, what is possible, you know, beyond limits? What limits have we put and what is scripture showing us that is possible? And this isn't even exhaustive. And when I say that, I'm saying that's not every story and that's not every scripture. It's just a few. And so the spirit of God is at work in us and through us doing supernatural things, gifting us, equipping us to do the will of the father. The Lord is doing things in the heavenly, in the heavenlies, right? If, you know, there's war going on, he's sending chariots, he's sending angelic angels 
angelic hosts to work out his will. His angels are ministering to us and doing things and bringing messages and revelation. And it's what he's doing. And he's showing people when they need it, bringing them into the heavenly realm and saying, here I am on my throne. Here I am with my heavenly host. Here here I am in this place in the heavens. And I believe the heavens are infinite and vast. And so these guys in the scriptures got little tidbits of what's going on. But who are we to think that there's only one little room that exists in heaven and everything's happening there? You know what I mean? That's that's limiting. So anyways, I encourage you again, and I'm sure you have a no problem having faith and seeing what is possible uh, with the Lord utilizing heavenly resources, the spirit of God in us and through us and the angels and, you know, revelation and all these things, words of knowledge and wisdom and, and understanding coming to us to continue to live out his will on earth as it is in heaven. So, uh, let me read real quick. Sandra Dalton says he's been showing me an eye, one eye opened. The first time I saw it was a blue eye with eyelashes and a very large only one. And I just saw one now during this class. And it was as if I was moving because the eye moved as if it was following me. And so, yeah, the Lord is, is showing us things and uh, doing very specific work in our lives. And so again, the spirit of God is going to move in our lives the way that <clears throat> he needs to move in our lives so that we continue on mission on mission and so that we are encouraged and built up and that we have the knowledge and understanding that we need of what's happening in the heavenlies so that we can continue to partner with the Lord on earth as it is in heaven. And so just because God gives me revelation by an angel in my dream, it doesn't mean he's going to do that for everybody. But we also can't say that he's not doing that because, again, who are we? Who are we to limit God? He's so wonderful. 